0: Fresh every Tuesday
1: for MSPs around the world, world. around the world. This, this is Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Podcast. Imagine the horror of losing nearly half of your MSP's revenue. What would happen to your business? How would your staff react and feel? How would you feel? Could you imagine how you'd feel waking up the day after knowing that you were going to lose your whale client who represented of everything that you do. It's a horrendous scenario. And today, we have a very inspirational interview with someone who not only went through that, but has got through it and has rebuilt their business. In fact, today, the business is thriving. It's August. Yay! Welcome to summer. And this is the
0: first of our summer specials.
1: Paul Green's MSP Marketing
0: Podcast. Oh yeah, my name's Henry Duncombe. I'm the managing director of Landware. Uh, We're an MSP based in the city of London. Uh, We work exclusively with clients in the financial services sector. We've been operating for 30 years and we employ about 50 staff.
1: And welcome on the show, Henry. You are one of a whole bunch of very cool people that I met at the Super Ops Super Conference uh, earlier on this year in London here in the UK. And the second you started telling me about your story, I thought, I've got to get you on this show. So thank you very much for coming on. There are two big things that we're going to talk about today. The first of them is the impact of losing a whale. So we'll define exactly what a whale means. It's a very big client. We'll define what that is and what happened to you in your business when you lost your whale. I'm interested in how you managed to recover from that and turn the business around. And then as you said in your intro, you have a super niche, which for you is financial services. So I want to explore that, or I should say a super niche so that everyone everywhere can, can understand what a, a niche or a niche is. We're going to explore exactly what uh, niche you're in. I'm going to have to stick with niche, aren't I? What niche <laughs> you're in and um, what drove you to pick a niche? And we'll get your advice and, and you know, what, what you've done to help you to dominate a niche but all of that is coming up in the next 10-15 minutes or so let's just start first of all just explore a little bit more about landware today so you said the business has been going for about 30 years how long have you yourself mm. been there because you don't look old enough to have, have been there 30 years ago
0: <laughs> no um, i mean it was founded in 1993 by an entrepreneur called Connor Casty. Um, he identified an opportunity back then to start kind of london uh, based it consultancy just went kind of Uh, the internet started to revolutionize business. And for the first kind of five years, it was just Connor and he started to hire a small team. He'd literally gone through the yellow pages and kind of phoned up the whole of central London. Um, And we were providing, you know, um, remote help desk. I had a couple of engineers, you know, roaming around um, different client sites, fixing issues. I mean, I joined the business um, 18 years ago. Uh, in 2004. I was looking for my uh, my next step. Um, I responded to an advert uh, for an engineer role and being in my 20s, uh, I didn't do my due diligence. Uh, the founder being a typical engineer, uh kind of um, completely oversold it to me, told, the com- told me the company was uh, much larger than it was and um, you know uh, had twice as many clients. But um, there was something about landware and the ideas and the, and the vision that were really big bought into. And actually, coincidentally, Uh, I had a couple of um, personal contacts that use landware for their IT support. So that was the extent of my due diligence at the time. And it was a complete coincidence that they were using landware because they really were that small. But, yeah, so then I I joined back then as an engineer. And, um, yeah, it went from there. You know, it was uh, back then. It was um, as IT was back in the day. It was pretty chaotic. You know, there was none of the kind of processes and tooling and things that we have today. And the support phone would ring constantly, a lot of firefighting kind of lurching from one problem to the next, um, limited structure and everyone did everything. Um, mm-hmm. But there was no shortage of um, uh, strong technical skills and certainly ideas from our, our founder who had this kind of vision which really resonated with me. And again, you know why I joined the business and that was um, uh, to create a fully managed service which would take all of the customer's infrastructure and servers out of the office, host them in a day center, kind of package them up, and um virtualize them and deliver them as this kind of all-encompassing service that they'd pay for on a per user basis and that you know that service would be accessible to all their users all around the world and i i'd never kind of understood why the servers were in the office in the first place you know back then it was quite typical for um you know, clients to have their servers hosted in a cupboard in their office with the backup tapes kind of going home in the PA's handbag if he or she remembered. Um, so, so that was the idea, you know. And um, you know, what happened next was the journey that we were about to embark on really kind of takes us up to to where we are today. You know, um, we we went in and you know, um, effectively kind of pitched this this new idea, this kind of all encompassing hosted managed service. to A couple of the financial services clients that we had and um, they knew we hadn't done it before they kind of believed in us because we'd been supporting them and they were willing to be the kind of early adopters of that and so kind of on a bit of a whim uh, we went about you know leading with this whole new service it went you know it was a fantastic success and then from that point that's where we started to really think about then focusing on financial services as a niche
1: and when are we? I mean, you, you're talking about this amazing concept of moving everything out of the office. When, when are we talking? What sort, of, uh, what sort of time period are we talking?
0: 2005. It was literally just after I arrived. Was, that's when we went off and, like I say, pitched this new service and had to set about creating relationships with data center providers and you know, beefing up our partnership with other providers.
1: And was this was this why you ended up with financial services because they saw the benefits of this and they were able to and willing to invest in it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um- So, you know, it it really resonated with them. And, you know, our our link to financial services really became apparent. You know, they were looking for a robust, highly available, secure kind of service as possible. And they want to kind of focus on their core business. So kind of taking the infrastructure out of the office and kind of packaging it up and allowing them to do that, you know, that was really music to their ears. You know, it was there that we realized, look, you know, this is, you know, this is where we should focus. You know, clearly also they had Uh, bigger budgets they're willing to pay for it and yeah you know there there are other little examples i remember back in the day around you know just simple things like um challenges trying to stop users having admin rights on all their machines and you know what it's like you know back in the day people just thinking we've been typical kind of awkward it people trying to take away their admin rights but the financial services clients completely understood that we were trying to take responsibility for their security and stop them getting hacked and you know um stop them having issues with the regulators. So, you know, we just clicked. And and it was that point that, you know, I kind of convinced the founder to go one step further, not just to lead with this kind of all-encompassing hosted kind of managed private cloud, you know, as it's now known today, but to really just to work only within the financial services space and particularly kind of small, independent boutique um, investment management firms.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I want to come back to that that niche, that vertical, yeah. shortly. Let's first of all talk about your whale. So let's first of all, let's define what a whale is for us, Henry. Tell you, t- you tell me what you define a whale as.
0: Well, a, a whale is obviously a a huge client who make up a significant portion of your of your revenue, essentially. And you know, it's not unusual. You know, certainly when you're starting a business and you don't have lots and lots of clients, that you know, there's going to be a whale in there from you know just looking at a percentage basis. But yeah, so no, I mean, um, this this was a um, yeah obviously a very large client, and I can kind of explain how they arrived and you know how how they to what you know to what size they grew. So, I mean, they they came through a referral. They're an insurance firm. So uh, within the kind of sweet spot of financial services, great. Um, They were a new startup. And this was kind of like over 15 years ago. And they had the backing of a large um, banking institution with very ambitious growth plans. And they had a vision to be one of the first Japanese Lloyds of London underwriters. Uh, and when we met them, they were about 20 users, um, but technology was critical to them. And their strategy uh, was to develop their own underwriting kind of insurance platform to be able to transact business directly through the Lloyd's insurance market. And, and this resulted in sorry, where they had, um, you know, they had more IT people than general staff. Uh, <laughs> I, re- I remember a time they had like 80 software developers. Whoa. And and the upshot for us was, you know, the IT leadership and focus um, was more on the development of those bespoke systems and not so much kind of the day-to-day keeping the lights on, the desktop support, the infrastructure, and the security. So, the timing was great for us, you know, going back to how we got into, you know, um, re-architecting this kind of managed service. And it was, it was great timing because, you know, we were developing all that and we were building out our data center capability and all that kind of stuff. So, our businesses grew alongside each other and they constantly pushed us to you know think at a different level and increase our ranges of services to help them grow you know they had you know a dedicated team on site and um a lot of the hardware was lease virus too and it drove up the value of the service and you know at its peak uh, it, it got to about kind of four and a half million pounds per annum uh, which was about half our revenue so there's there's the whale you know at its absolute peak
1: yeah, I mean that's that's an that's not just a whale. That's like a mega whale, a super whale. <laughs> In fact, you had a, you had a nickname for it, didn't you?
0: <laughs> I, I think so. I think they kind of they were bordering on, and I think yeah, they were bordering on becoming a megalodon. <laughs> I think is a uh, prehistoric shark, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's certainly where they ended up. Yeah. Um, but at that time, yeah, they're definitely a whale.
1: I mean, any any whale that's that's fifty percent of your revenue is a, is a massive threat. Yeah. When when that represents four and a half million pounds worth of billable revenue, that's that's that, I mean that. A business killer and and I yeah. guess I mean, without going too much into the detail because it must have been a horrendous and very traumatic time that there was a point when that that contract came to an end
0: yeah i mean we we had a bit of a perfect storm, sadly, so it wasn't just um, that contract coming to an end, sadly, our, our founder uh, he passed away from cancer, mm. I mean he had been ill uh, for a few years, and this this left a number of challenges you know normal challenges probate and ownership structure and you know, uh, created some uncertainty, you know, and I had kind of stepped up and this was kind of, you know, best uh, part 10 years ago. I kind of stepped up at that point and running the business. You remember, I, you know, I joined as an engineer uh, and, um, and the clients were supported, but we, we still had a lot of that going on as was when things started to go in the wrong direction with the, the whale client, you know, and we received the news that um, um, they were going to merge with a much larger business. Um, and it was more of a kind of a reverse takeover situation where it was very clear that our client was the, the smaller entity and was to be absorbed into the bigger business. Um, so from the start, you know, we could just see that this was going to be a challenge too great for us trying to scale up again, you know, to position to support a combined organization that was kind of potentially 4,000 global users wow. around the world. And especially, you know, some of our key stakeholders and relationships, you know, they were leaving the business it was just too much risk. Um, so th- that's where they definitely gone from being a whale to that Megalodon <laughs> that we were talking about. And, and the client knew this too, you know, the integration as the integrations of the two companies started, the final scenario for us, you know, became clear. And we'd had a hell of a ride for kind of 10, 10 14 years or, or whatever it was. Um, but the immediate assessment of the impact to our business, you know, was serious, was very serious. Um, you know, amount of cost cutting and downsizing we had to do. And, you know, there was a lot of fixed commitments in there, such as kind of the data center capacity and so on and so forth, which, you know, it, it, it painted a, a very challenging picture.
1: Were well, the points where you thought I'm not going to be able to do this? You know, there's there's no way we're going to be able to reduce the costs and 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 keep keep people because that's the thing, isn't it? We if you've ever been in a business that's had to lose people and lose contracts quickly, um, it just creates this un, unbelievable feeling of uncertainty within within everyone, and you find that the very best people are the are the first people to leave. Was there a point where you sat, you know, head in hands and thought, how how am I going to do this?
0: Of course, of course. Um... Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of things that we learned, you know, and, um, you know, looking back, you know, obviously I'm here today and, you know, we're doing well and, you know, how did we turn this around, you know? Um, well, first of all, and and this is easier than said than done, Paul is, you know, we didn't panic. Yes, the head was in the hands. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, uh, in most cases, you know, when a client goes in our world as an MSP, you do have an amount of time on your side. And the bigger they are, the more complex their technology, there's always going to be a significant transition period, you know, for them to move away. It gives you an amount of time to make changes and kind mm-hmm. of get your head around this. Um, you know, we had to confront the brutal facts, you know, not kid ourselves as well that this wasn't going to happen. If that makes sense, you know, it's quite easy to think perhaps, you know, there's going to be residual opportunity and so on and so forth. You had to plan for the worst case scenario. Uh, you couldn't proceed with any other mindset, really, whilst still obviously being confident about the future and where you might end up. So we treated them with the same level of service and professionalism right up until the end and and in turn, you know, created huge amount of long lasting um, relationships and referenceability after they exited. Um The second thing that we did um, which is something many might not do is we didn't try and hide the situation from the other clients and we told them all and we told them early and that was incredibly difficult uh, to do that Um, and the response was one um, I didn't expect it was one of support you know Mm -hmm. Um, many of these clients are professional investors and you know we opened up our books to them and um, you know, they were understandably nervous about our future and how if we were to fail, how that might impact them. But they, they started to realize that, you know, the business had been run prudently. You know, we had obviously the founder passed away and, you know, nobody was taking lots of cash out of the businesses and bonus. And if anything, you know, I, I started to put money to one side because I knew you know, this ultimately may happen at some point. Um, and so they kind of recognised that. And that really helped, I suppose. Um, that really helped build that trust. And um, again, I'm always one for trying to find the positives. We, you look back and the feedback that came out of that exercise with the other clients, um, they pointed out some really painful truths around our business, um, some of the stuff that you talk around the podcast, around understanding, you know, your profitability and your pricing and all this kind of good stuff, they pointed a lot of that, that out and said, "Look, you know, they were there willing to support us and maybe even go further to a financial kind of safety net." But we had to change a lot of things, and um, they gave us a lot of free advice around our like, ownership structure. To your point about key staff, you know, incentivizing key staff with shares so they would mm-hmm. not leave the business and all that. So they gave us great advice around around that and. Uh, Another thing that we'd done prior was get an FD on board, a part-time FD. And, you know, we'd been um, kind of muddling through a little bit, you know, with an in-house bookkeeper and a bit of advice from the accountants. And that wasn't appropriate, you know, for a business that had grown so quickly of our size and with that kind of key client risk. So when it went, things went south, having an experienced FD on board, you know, had a grip of the numbers um, could play out various scenarios that 10 gave the other clients a huge amount of confidence that whilst the forecast looked difficult, you know, we understood the impact and uh, we could make those difficult um, decisions with, um, you know, with, with, some level of, um, you know, some confidence in that. And I, and I think the um, yeah. And the other thing was about, you know, um, everything had to change, particularly in terms of the product. Yeah. Because we had become prisoners to our own experiences. <laughs> yeah, we felt the entire market was made up of clients like this with massive budgets, wanted to be on the forefront of technology. Uh, and this made us expensive. You know, it made us inflexible. Um, we became too wedded to one enterprise technology stack, which didn't resonate with the wider market. You know, a simple example of this was the adoption of Office 365 because we were so wedded to our data centers. You know, a lot of the team just weren't on board with the public cloud. And um, the sad fact is that you know the market was already shifting back then to the public cloud and office three six five and you know we were going out there trying to sell to new prospects we we didn't have enough experience in it at that time, and we had to change all that and the headline was we totally rearchitected our flagship managed service to be exclusively delivered from three six five and Azure after that as a result of those experiences. With that big, that key client, and realizing that we've become kind of prisoners to our own, you know, our own experience with them.
1: Yeah. This is, this is an, a, a, an astonishing display of leadership, Henry, I have to say. <laughs> I mean, to, 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 you know, to turn, cause it, cause it, it, it the things you've the decisions you've made and i appreciate we're, we're hearing yeah. a 10 minute version of what was probably two or three <laughs> difficult years of your life yes but I, I think mm. every single business owner that hears that story can put themselves in that situation so most of us wouldn't be on a turnover of, of nine million pounds which is about 12 10, 10 11 12 million dollars but you, even if you you multiply that down or divide that down to a, to a factor mm. of 10 if you're sat on a turnover of 900,000 90,000 and someone takes half of that away you have to make some very very difficult decisions and mm. everything you've said there shows to me tremendous leadership here you know dear, dear other clients this is the, the problem we're in this is why we're in that problem here are our books you you know here is transparency you know just okay. saying to your staff and, and showing to your staff that, that, that you that you believed in the future of the business so much that you're willing to give them yes, you know a, a little slice of it That's that truly is astonishing so I'm, I'm sure you don't need to hear it, but congratulations. And maybe, <laughs> maybe people don't say it to you very often because you did it and it's done and the business has, has you know, picked up and carried on growing from there. But um, yeah, yeah, I think everyone listening right now is g- giving you a high five, a, a well-done <laughs> high five on that one.
0: Well, cheers. I, I appreciate that. And it's, um, it, as you say, it's the, um, it's, it, it, they talked about the team and the staff and you had to be very open and honest with them, you know, um, because in a small business like an MSP, um, you know, it's communication. Um, it, you know, it occurs very quickly. Yeah. And that can be a great asset, but it could also be a great liability if you don't communicate because people make up their own version of events and what you're facing. Yeah. And I would spend endless, t- you know, um, time doing company updates and confronting the issue head on, um, not shying away from it, but also at the same time, trying to paint that kind of longer term future. And it is really interesting because you talked about, when people move, moved on. One of the things that I, I found out was that um, because of some of the good recruitment that we had done within our ranks, there was a huge amount of potential, mm. if that makes sense. So as mm. some of the more senior people kind of moved on, you had the more the slightly less experienced ones who were really hungry um, and wanted to step up. And they cared less around things like you know the private cloud and they wanted to embrace the public cloud. And so they became then our future leaders. And I think the key thing is that is always I'm always trying to like recruit on potential as much as, you know, the kind of the skills they have when you when you meet them.
1: I love it. I love it. And there was a great, I'm going to paraphrase what you said there, but something along the lines of if, if you don't give people the information, they will fill in the gaps. And yeah, they'll that, fill in the gaps. Yeah, that in itself is a, is a fantastic people leadership thing. Okay, let's finish off looking at your your vertical. So you, you right from your early days and from the point you joined the business 18 years ago, you've, you've had this vertical and yours is a, yep. is a nice cash spending, uh, very focused, highly regulated vertical, which makes it very desirable. Now, obviously, you haven't just sat back on your laurels and just... Because the, the, the easy thing in a vertical is what, once you're in a vertical, you tend to get other businesses yeah. in that vertical just finding you. But you can still yeah. be very proactive with your marketing and, and go out looking for business. So talk us through what, what you do as a business now to, to you know be present in that vertical, to be dominant yeah. in it, to be the authority and ultimately to, to get the leads coming in.
0: Yeah. So I mean, I'll explain how we kind of ended up in this vertical and kind of the, the fit uh, that we have for financial services. And I think, you know, we sort of fell into it a little bit. And one thing I would say is for others considering going down this road is to proceed with a little bit of caution. It's not a small decision. And I think to be truly successful, you have to go all in. Mm. Um, There's no half measures. Um, It's tempting to think financial services is massive industry, but the addressable market for an MSP, you know, when you're looking at those, you know, in those UK, those small boutique firms who are mainly London-based, And they're all very demanding and quite hard to penetrate and they all want to use a specialist MSP and that, and that's part of the attraction, if that makes sense. Um, And so believe it or not, it goes deeper. There's like the niche within the niche within the niche. It's like the super niche. I'll give you an example is that there's, you know, there's not a huge amount of MSPs kind of playing in this space and it, you know, the barriers to entry are significant. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the times you'll have some of the other, some of the other competitors, They may have a lot of kind of hedge fund clients and other ones might have a lot of private equity clients do you see so they're actual kind of within the vertical they're these sub niches if that makes sense Mm. um and a prospect will be looking for heavy weighting within your client base of organizations similar to them so actually as you get into it it seems to go deeper and deeper so to this day you know um it's taken a long time to to get into to where we are. And if I had to kind of turn down a lot of other opportunity outside the vertical, which is not easy. Yeah. Um, so how do we find, I suppose, how do we find, find new business and market ourselves? So we brand everything um, we do around financial services. I'm sure you would be sure. I An mean, example of that is our flagship managed service. So that's called Finance Forward 365, yeah? And by giving them the product a financial name, you know, you're offering something that others aren't. You know, it never ceases to amaze me how other MSPs don't give their service a name. Um, and it's it's a bit easier for us because we can obviously name it, okay, within our vertical. You know, that's just a simple example of how we go to market and brand ourselves. Clearly, um, we form close partnerships with other complementary service providers um, who will focus on the same space as us, whether that be software providers, compliance um, brokers, legal firms, all the way through to office fit-out companies. Um, we hold regular meetups with them. Uh, we share Intel, we share leads, uh, opportunities, we support each other's businesses. We like each other's stuff on social media, if that makes sense. Um, clearly, we attend all the different events and awards and, and all that. So we put out content. I mean, you, know, you talk about answering the questions from clients, which is fantastic advice. It makes all that kind of like, um, content creation process a lot easier because you're answering those questions anyway. So a, a recent example might be something that, um, again, going back to the reg- regulation, uh, the regulators get really hot on um, these financial firms, um, not recording um, what their staff do over WhatsApp, for business purposes, for example, and it's created a lot of issues, so they're looking for solutions around that. So, that's an example, do you see, about something the client's really grappling with that you can put out great content around and then position yourself as a kind of industry expert. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the other, the other interesting thing we see business, and again, it goes to the niche, it's just an unusual one, is that a lot of time when our, our kind of competitors get acquired by non-specialist MSPs or they take private equity backing and they get really aggressive in terms of their targets, they lose that white glove service and that industry focus, the client, the clients will vote with their feet a little bit. And then we pick up a lot of customers there. I, we talk about this white glove service, you know, that's this term, but I, I always laugh that it's kind of when it turns into the rubber glove, you know, you know, there's something <laughs> wrong. <laughs> but, um, but also just again, I, you know, um, we often try and hire people who have worked with the competition um you know it's good to befriend them maybe have them on your board as a non-exec or who've got the connections and all the experience etc and so on and so forth but then on the marketing front paul yes no we we do everything that you you know you preach on your on your podcast in terms of building up audiences etc and the email marketing and linkedin is huge for us and newsletters and everything else so and i don't think you know that everyone is really dominating in that like you say even in our in our niche
1: yeah yeah well i think i think you could say this with most verticals and there's this there's two or three MSPs that I'm working with who are utterly dominant in their vertical I'm not going to name the verticals uh, but they are and there's one guy in particular and he'll be listening to this and, and thinking you know yeah he's talking about me uh, he, he literally he's only been in the vertical a couple of years but he's he walked in and dominated it and that was partly timing uh, it was partly drive and it was partly you know being being the right person in the right place at the right time um, there's, a, there's another MSP I'm working with in Australia who again has, has dominated the vertical but most most people it was really interesting, interesting what you said earlier about um, going all in most people yeah. they they dip their toe into a vertical so they they've got and this is this is how I see it tends to go yeah. you have an MSP that's got general business they've been going for 10 years they hear me banging or you someone banging on about <laughs> oh vertical marketing through a vertical is easier which it is and it is easier to build up momentum and keep the momentum going but you the more you commit to it the more you get out of it and and they do they dip their toe in or they say oh I've got I've got a dentist we'll go and get some more yeah. dentist dentists and they end up with five ten dentists and there, there is there's nothing wrong with that at all using a vertical sat on the side of your general business but the people who truly dominate their verticals as you said they go all in it, it is the vertical or nothing which and it is a very scary thing to do because if you marry we call this marrying a market if you marry the wrong market then you have to divorce that market and go and find a new market and that in itself <laughs> is a three-year uh, you know a three-year uh, set of pain as it as it absolutely. is absolutely there we go, Henry. You have been utterly, utterly wonderful. Thank you for sharing. You know something that that many MSP owners would hide, <laughs> which is we we lost the whale and and okay, it didn't kill the business, but it was it was difficult. So thank you for that. There's been some amazing lessons in there, and it's just been a pleasure to have you on. We'll put your LinkedIn uh, into the show notes uh, for those people that want to connect with you. And uh, I will give you as I never do this, but I, I will very rarely give you the final word. If you could give any MSP listen to this, one piece of advice, something that perhaps you wish you had known when you took over the business, when, when was it, 18 years ago? What would that advice be?
0: It's something that everyone else has said. And, the, you know, one of the reasons I'm on this podcast, it is getting out there into the wider community and, you know, really trying to build build out those connections and that network and spending time with other MSPs, Um, It's something that I didn't do, really. And actually what happened, you know, with um, us being prisoners of our own experience, does that make sense? And the well client, um, it forced me really just to to get out and and actually seek help, talk to people. It's a it's a combination of, I think, getting advice and a bit of therapy as well, because running an MSP, you do question whether it's this hard for everyone. It, It really is. It's a very demanding and operational business. And so we all need the support that we can get. So go get it.
1: Coming up up next week. Hi, I'm John Douglas. I'm the technical director and head of incident response at First Response.
0: We're going to be talking about incident response, how MSSPs can support MSPs in the work that you do, the current threat landscape, what cyber attacks look like and how to deal with ransomware.
1: Now this is saying something when a non-tech like me says it that I found that discussion with John to be absolutely fascinating. He knows so much about cyber security and what we need to do to protect people out there and I'm sure that you will love next week's summer special as well. Join me next Tuesday and have a very profitable week in your MSP made in the UK For MSPs around the world. Paul Green's
0: MS- MSP. MSP marketing podcast.